Acts chapter 15 is where we'll start, but it really is Acts chapter 16, just so you know. (laughs) Oh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, have your way. We're sitting underneath the authority of your word. You've spoken. You've set aside this beautiful book that we might know you more. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. We need you to teach us all things, and so we trust that you will even this morning have your way, though we want to learn. We want to be able to submit ourselves to what we're being taught and the move of your Spirit that we would obey you and that you would work in our lives, but also, God, help us to be absolutely amazed by you, blown away by your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness in our own lives. We just want to take this time and set it apart for you. You're worthy of it. Have your way this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 36. This is on the heels of the conference that took place, disputing whether or not you had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. How is a person saved? That's a big deal. You don't want to mess up what's called soteriology, the study of how one is saved. You're saved by grace through faith alone in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that his sacrifice is sufficient. And upon believing in the work of the cross, you will receive remission of sins. You're no longer held guilty, but you're seen as holy, blameless, and above reproach in the sight of God because of what Jesus has done. That's good news. In fact, that's such good news We should have a school here and have kids come and tell them about Jesus. We should probably have an Awana program and a young adult thing, and we should do church. Let's gather together and encourage the body to get out and share this message of hope with the lost and dying world. They just figured this out. All right, so they debated. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And then they go back to Antioch, and they share this message with all of the people that were in Antioch. And then you'll notice that as they're hanging out, doing their thing, verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we had preached the word of the Lord. And let's see how they're doing. Let's go back and see how they're doing. We're going to pause for a second because that's really instructive. There's a million things Paul could have done, but here's what he said. I think since the Lord ministered to him, We need to go back and make sure everybody's doing okay. There's a particular responsibility involved in that. I'm going to separate it into three different things you can learn from it just really quickly as we're hanging out in God's word. See how they're doing. The first thing, it's Proverbs 27, 23. If you're a father, write this verse down. It's for you this morning. If you're a grandparent, if you're a mother, this is you. If if you know anyone, (laughs) this verse is for you. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Now listen, none of you in here probably have a herd of flock or a herd of goats or sheep. Okay, I get it. You know what's being said though, and no doubt the context here, Solomon's given some pretty good wisdom. Like it's important to take care of the things entrusted to you, to know how things are going, but we're relating this to people. For me as a father, this is so important that I would know where my kids are. Where's their heart? Is it hard? Yeah. 
Does it require late night conversations when you just want to go to sleep, <laughs> but they're full of energy and questions and so on and so forth? Yeah, it does. Is it worth it? You better believe it's worth it. In fact, Proverbs will go on to say that there's tremendous reward when you are diligent to know the state of your flocks. And I think that's exactly what Paul's doing here. We can apply this in such a broad fashion to our parenting, our grandparenting, to for you as an employer, or maybe you're a manager with people underneath of you that you get to hang out with, how are they and where are they at? I really do believe you have a responsibility to know that as a Christian, that God's entrusted you with these people, just like God entrusted Paul and Barnabas and the others with those churches that were planted. There was a responsibility they had to go back and take care of them and see how they're doing because it requires like intense personal investment, doesn't it? To know how a person's doing. I can't just fill out a survey and know. I have to talk to you. I have to look at you in the eyes and see how you're doing. It takes time and it's hard, but it's worth it. Like Brandon was saying, do hard things. It's worth it. Is it hard to sit and listen to some kids read scripture? <laughs> Maybe, yeah, depending on how that group is, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. They go back, let's see how they're doing. That was the first thing. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Allow the Lord to minister to that as he sees fit. The second thing is it's a matter of stewardship, no doubt very closely related, but it's a matter of stewardship. Where Matthew in first chapter 25, 20, and 21 talks about the parable of the talent. Where the Lord delivered five talents to a servant, and he went and did business. That meant he went and worked. He traded he invested what was given to him, so that, and then there was a return on investment. And he said, hey, check it out, master. I've got a return on investment. And the master says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. Come on in and enter into the joy of the Lord. I think that as Paul goes back and stewards the churches and the souls that were won during his first missionary journey, God looks upon that and says, right on, that's somebody I can trust with more because I know he'll take care of these people because guess what it's all about? People, each individual soul, like the Lord, it's his person, right? That's the person that Christ died for. I mean, it seriously gets really individualized in a really healthy and powerful way. And that as Paul goes back, like he said, Let's see how they're doing. Why would he ever do that? Well, because he cares for them. He loves them. People, I'm just pointing this out. That's for all of you. It's not just for some crazy missionary dude in the first century. It's for every single one of you. If, again, if you know a person and you follow Jesus, oh, he's called us to be diligent to know the state of our flocks. He's called us to steward well those whom God has entrusted into our hands. Just so you know, all of this is made possible through the work and power of the Holy Spirit, through your abiding in him. He'll do that work, okay? We're not adding works for you to do. No, no, no. Man, trust in him. Allow him to do the work. But just know, these are things you would present before him. Like, man, I want to do a better job of that. I recognize there's maybe some deficiencies or things that I've just glossed over and haven't really dug into. The third thing is real simple. It's just obedience. Why would he go back and do this? Because Paul isn't called, nor are we, to make converts. We're called to make disciples. And Jesus in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all the things I've commanded because, hey, check it out. Lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. 
He's called us as believers to make disciples. And so there's a particular responsibility or stewardship we have to like obey him. (laughs) And so Paul's just obeying, that's all. He's going back and I want to make sure that disciples have been made. Not just converts, but like disciples. Those people who make disciples, then who then make disciples, who then make disciples until now we here we are in 2023 and the faithful work of the spirit through the church has like here we are. Somebody shared with you. Somebody established or you know, did a Bible study or somebody was helping with the lawn or somebody was doing youth group or whatever it might have been. And that person probably has a testimony of somebody being faithful in their life to then pass that on. And that goes back all the way to here where he's faithful to go and see how somebody's doing, to check in on them, being diligent, have, being a good steward, and then just simply being obedient to what God has called him to do. He loves them. For your notes, if you're taking them, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, share this beautiful section with Paul where he expresses his love for the church. And he says in verse 8, he says that, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased not only to impart to you the gospel, which is like the main thing, but he says, we also imparted our very lives to you. Why, he says, because you've become so dear to us. Paul loved these people, and this is an expression of the love of Jesus for the church. That as Jesus nourishes and cherishes the church, he does that through us as people. He uses you to nourish the church and to cherish the church. That's the group of people, not a building, right? The church is a group of people who gather together. And so he uses us to do that. And First and Second Thessalonians are these tremendous books, really unique in his writings, where you'll hear some things that, that discuss the, well, how he lived among them. He'll call to remembrance, you guys know how I lived among you, and I labored, and I fought, and I did these things because I care about you, and I love you. So let's go back and see how they're doing. Okay, allow the Lord to minister to that, to you. What is it that he's calling you to? Let's look at some sad stuff. <laughs> Verse 37 Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We set back up to 37 What exactly happened? They're in Antioch, Paul, Barnabas, Mark, you got Silas. If you can remember in verse 34 of chapter 15, the real 15, however, it seemed good for Silas to remain there. He had a sense from the Lord, it would seem at least, to stay where he was, where his buddy, Barsabas, he like went back. To Jerusalem. Oh, Silas like, man, I really feel like I should stick around. Not sure exactly why, but I just think I'm supposed to be here in Antioch. So they're sticking around. Barnabas is like, we're bringing Mark. Paul said, no, we're not. And then this contention arose. What happens and what do you do when you can't agree? Well, we're going to talk about it. Two questions. I was studying a commentary Wearsby commentary. He asked two questions that I think are really interesting. And I think you guys will find yourselves landing on one, one of these or the other. Like it might resonate more 
with you than what another one would, depending on your personality and honestly depending on how God has called you in ministry. The first one is the Paul take on it, where there's this debate, I'm not taking Mark. And Barnabas is like, no, no, we're taking Mark. And Paul says, no, we're not taking Mark. And you'll notice in verse 38, as Luke is writing this, it's almost like they're not, he doesn't mention his name again, like the one whom I will not mention. You know, it's like this interesting thing had taken place. Well, what happened? Notice that he had not gone with them to the work. We'll deal with it in a second. The first question, what can they do? So let's think about how Paul would think about a person who's, maybe he's interviewing for ministry. What can this person do for the work of God? What value will they add? What skill sets, what abilities do they have that are going to further the work of the gospel? That's what Paul's looking at, some credentials maybe. Where he's looking into that and this is the, th- these are things they have skill sets and abilities and callings and giftings of the spirit to be able to do the work that God's called them to do. Paul's question is, what can they do for God's work? A really profound statement. Hindrances hinder. And I think that's what Paul was a, was a little worried about, was being hindered by Mark one, once again, where they're getting ready to go in the work, and Mark's like, I'm out. I can't do this. This is, it's okay, by the way, just so you know, to ask that question. Can this be taken too far to where you can become like a jerk towards a person and, and where you like kind of just look down? On yes, it can be that way. And I'm in no way suggesting that's how one would act. That isn't, that falls outside of the boundaries of how we should behave as Christians. We still love, and Paul didn't not love Mark. We'll get to that in a second. But as far as what God had called Paul to do, the ministry that Paul had, Mark wasn't going to be part of the equation because he had already bailed on them once before, and Paul's moving hard. Hindrances can hinder. So when it comes to ministry teams and people who are apart, like, I want to know, are you in, are you out? What's going on? Jesus in Mark chapter, sorry, 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 Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62 It's where like people are wanting to follow him. And he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. And then somebody else is like, I want to follow you, but I got to go bury my father. And he's like, let the dead bury their own dead. Pretty radical stuff. And then he says, hey, you know, I'm going to follow you. He goes on. Jesus says, whoever sets his hand to the plow and then looks back and kind of stops. He's like, he's not ready. He's not fit. He's not fit for the kingdom not ready for that work that he's been called to. There is a cost to discipleship. There is a radical nature about following Jesus that's pretty intense. And as Christians, here we are, we gotta be ready to buckle up and go. Because notice in verse 38, he had not gone with them to the work. It's work. Following Jesus, sharing the gospel, raising up disciples, Man, it's the sweetest, most fun thing ever to follow Jesus, but it's work. Don't you think it's not? Don't get fooled into thinking it's not work. It is toil and work. All of it's supplied, all the energy and strength supplied by the Lord. Rest in him, enjoy him. He'll move and motivate you. But Paul's question, what can you do for God's work? That's a good question. It's part of his personality, Undoubtedly, in Philippians 3, he just says, I press on towards that goal for the upward call of Christ. He's moving forward. There's funny stories about Bill and the inability of people to keep up with him on missions trips in particular. And if you couldn't keep up, 
you probably weren't going to be asked to go back with him. <laughs> like, you just weren't. And I mean physically. Like, he walked really fast. And especially in places like Ukraine, you walk everywhere. European countries, you just walk everywhere. And if you can't keep up, you're not coming on the next trip. He's moving. He's got places to be. He's got people to minister to. And if you're going to slow him down, he'll bring somebody else. Bring your walking shoes. Like, be ready to go. That was Bill. Go, man. Investing in people, going hard. It was just part of his personality. It was such a sweet thing. What motivated him? He wanted to be with people so desperately. He wanted to share the good news with people. He wanted to encourage, right? It was really a sweet thing. The other question, right? What can they do for God's work? That was maybe Paul's question. The next question is this. What can God's work do for them? Totally appropriate question as well. And another take on ministry even. Some of you might be on that place like, we got to go. Like, and if you're falling behind, then hang out with Barnabas because we're moving. Praise the Lord for those people. But then you have guys like Barnabas who have that patient and encouraging spirit who are willing to hang out in the back and invest in people. Do we need those people? You better believe we need those people. I mean, honestly, that's in many ways how Jesus operated. We'll get to that, but check it out. What can God's work do for them? Is there a matter or a part where as they involve themselves in ministry, where the ministry begins to shape them and they're learning things? You see that take place with the disciples? Cam Bindi is really good at doing that, where Wes will take on people who might be more difficult at first to work with, but trusts that the ministry will do a work in them. And even though for a moment it might be a little bit of a hindrance to things that we want to see happen, it's worth it in the end, because you see people grow and mature in their faith, who maybe not, couldn't do cool group times and share the word, but then at the end of a summer, they're able to do a Bible study. That was the first place I ever really learned to do consistent Bible studies was Camp Indy. People like Jay Hartman and others who were just so willing to just take time and invest, you know? Not, by the way, these two things aren't completely mutually exclusive. You can go hard and still invest, okay? Understand that I'm making these two like this, but they certainly go together as well. Barnabas's question, what can God's work do for them, is a question of investment, long-term discipleship. There are probably many disciples that Jesus chose to be apostles that Paul would have been like, I don't have time for you. But Jesus was willing to take three years out of his life and pour into them because he sees potential. Barnabas would have said, John, Mark's got potential. And Paul's like, absolutely, it's just not ready yet. I'm out of here. Where Barnabas is like, all right, Mark, let's work together here. Let's do this. Now, just so we know, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul, writing to Timothy, says this. He says, only Luke is with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. He's useful to me for ministry. At the very end of Paul's life, guess who he wanted right next to him? Mark. Isn't that cool? Like, the, you, your time can be redeemed. That God is a gracious God who's patient with you. And even though Mark wasn't ready to go do the work right here, Barnabas and others invested in him, and guess what? He grew in his walk with the Lord to where finally he's willing to be there in prison with Paul, perhaps. He's willing to associate with the man whom Nero has said, off with your head. Mark grew. Isn't that encouraging? For you guys to understand it, like even you might struggle, you might have left the work or whatever it might have been, but oh my gosh, you guys, the Lord is patient and he's kind, and he's so gracious with us. Barnabas was an encourager. 
Paul was a dude who's getting after it. Both of them are getting after it, certainly in certain ways, but Barnabas's pace might have been a little slower and could accommodate more people to encourage them and invest in them. That's healthy stuff, you guys. Having both of those ministries, both of those hearts, is so important. We need that. Again, they certainly meld together, no doubt about it. Barnabas, his name, he was a son of encouragement. Like, he would come alongside of people and be like, I got you. You know, they're huffing and puffing because they can't keep up with Bill. Somebody, hey, I got you, man. It's fine. We'll grab a bus. It's fine, (laughs) you know, or whatever. Oh, those people are important. We need them. Okay, what can we learn from the separating of of (laughs) Paul and Barnabas? Three things just really quick. I'm sorry, what good comes from that? The first thing is you have now two mission teams going to two different locations. I'm telling you what, that's a good thing. That means that even more people are going to hear the gospel. More churches are going to be encouraged. That's healthy, and that's good. The separation that they're experiencing is not a doctrinal or a moral thing. It was a methodological thing. It was, I don't really want Mark to go with me. Well, I do. Okay, well, we're not going to be able to walk together. What good comes from this? Boom, they get to go separate places. They're going to cover more ground than they ever would have had they stayed together. It's healthy to do that. As a church and as home fellowships even, we want to multiply out. Is it difficult to multiply out? Yeah, it is. It stinks. Our home fellowship launched out, Mike Vitazaraga, and it was hard to see them go. You have no idea how good the guacamole was and how good <laughs> the tacos were. Like, I'm serious. Gifted people in so many ways. Sometimes you got to suck it up for the Lord. But we are to see them launch out and have a flourishing home fellowship. More people are now involved in home fellowships because of that multiplying. Brad Dunford, and talk about awesome guacamole again. It's hard. We miss it. But another home fellowship, multiplying out, you guys, that's it. It's fun, and you see it here. Thankfully, it wasn't a contentious thing. It was a calling God had put on those families' lives to go and to leave the comfort of a home fellowship they've always known and to go out and start their own thing. Praise the Lord, though. It's hard to say goodbye. It's hard to not meet on a weekly basis and see and watch. It's difficult, but it's the way it is. We want to multiply out. We want to send people from this place to go do new works. We just don't want to maybe do it under these circumstances. These circumstances are more unfortunate, but it's also good. Two people go in two different places. You'll also notice the second thing would be that there's a larger scope of involvement from more people. And a great illustration is the one I just mentioned as far as home fellowships. Now there's two different guys studying and learning what it means to pastor a group. Like, that's really healthy. We need a lot more of that. Now it's Silas is involved. And soon we're going to see Timothy here in a moment. Mark is having a larger role with Barnabas than he would have had had it been Paul and Barnabas. And so they're going to have to grow. This is healthy stuff. Is it hard for a time? You better believe it is, but it's healthy. Good can come from this. And also the last thing, knowing that it's okay to have disagreements, that there might come a time when you just might not be able to walk together any longer. That doesn't mean you have to hate one another or have to leave in such a way that's disruptive. They just said, we're going to go two different ways and God's going to bless it and it's okay. This isn't a moral issue. It's not a doctrinal issue. It was a thing where I'm not going this, I'm not doing that. Like It's okay. Amos chapter three, verse three. Can two walk together unless they agree? And the answer is no, not really, or... There's certainly a gradient amount of time or, you know, a way in which you get down. Remember the list two weeks ago from like the dogmas and then the things, the doctrines and things we believe in, the distinctives. The further down you get, the less you need to worry about it. 
there are certain times where disagreements have to happen. And I just can't fellowship here. I can't, well, that's fine, it happens. We just want to separate in a way that's good. It seems as though they didn't have any bad blood because check it out. Barnabas goes to Cyprus. Paul goes up to Cilicia and Tarsus area. We'll get to that in a moment. But have you ever thought about this? Barnabas goes to Cyprus. That was the first place they had gone for the first missionary journey. And they had met a dude there named Sergius Paulus, who was the governor of the island. And Sergius Paulus, after a crazy series of events and hearing the beauty of the gospel, follows Jesus. Barnabas goes to, back to Cyprus, and what would have Sergius Paulus said? Where's Paul? And now all of a sudden, Barnabas has to answer that question. Where's Paul at, Barnabas? And Barnabas would have had to have been like, well... Here's the answer. He would have covered Mark's ears. Been, well, Mark, you know, struggling one time and Paul couldn't handle it. Or whatever the situation would have been, you know, he would have said, ah. They would have had to answer these questions. As Paul travels up to Lister and Derby, like, where's Barnabas? We miss him. We were so excited to see him. We heard you were coming. And Paul would have had to explain it. I don't think they badmouthed each other. God's doing this and God's doing this. It's okay. Mark and Barnabas, just in case you care, were cousins. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 tells us that. Why Cyprus? You might remember that Barnabas was from Cyprus. Why did he go to Cyprus? Well, he's from Cyprus. We've discussed this and talked about it. Verses 40 and 41, Paul goes to Cilicia and, and sorry, Syria and Cilicia. Throw that map up there, will you, Bailey? <coughs> Excuse me. You'll notice that the different places they go, it's, well, it's like where their home was, and so why not? We get into the, you know, chapter 16 here. We're going to move a little bit quicker, more quickly. We're with Paul now, right? Then he came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. He was the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. You'll notice on the map, that's a region of a place. Think about it for a second. What would it mean, and what kind of person was Timothy that two different cities, when they heard about Timothy, were like, oh, man, that guy is awesome. We love Timothy, his heart for the Lord, the way he articulates the gospel, the way he can teach people, he's phenomenal. We love him. Timothy's awesome. That would have been how he would have been. That's in two different cities. That's kind of cool. Good job, Timothy. This is a place where fruit was being developed from Paul's previous ministry. When he went to Lystra and Derby before, he shared the gospel it's thought that Timothy's mom and grandma got saved, even potentially Timothy at the time. And by the time he goes around again, two, three years later, Timothy's established in the faith, fallen after Jesus, and they're like, you've got to meet Timothy. Paul, he's so cool. He loves the Lord. He's hungry for, for Jesus. There was good fruit being established and produced from the ministry. And that's a work of the Lord, isn't it? And so he goes on. You might notice a really weird thing takes place in verse 3. Look at this. I, you guys came to church thinking, I want to talk more about circumcision. Well, here we go. <laughs> verse 3, Paul wanted to have him go on with him. We're talking about Timothy. He took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Now, I don't know if you're looking at that thinking, wait a second. We just got done with Acts chapter 15 that said you don't have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. And here, right after that, Paul's like, hey, Timothy, you got to be circumcised. And he's like, wait a second. What's the deal here? I would have fought this one, right? Why did he do this? 
And why did Paul, it actually, it, it gives us an answer, but I think it's okay to ask why again. So, okay, why did he have him circumcised? Well, because of the Jews who were in the region. They all knew his father was Greek. Well, well, why does that matter, right? You could ask again, well, why does that matter? Here's why. Paul and Timothy were going to form a very close missionary team. And in doing so, Paul's, the way he did ministry initially was he would go to a city and he would go into a synagogue. Well, guess who's not going into synagogues? Well, Timothy's not. Well, why not? Because he's not circumcised and they find out about that, they're going to get fired up about it. And so all of a sudden now, Timothy kind of has this dilemma. I want to be used by the Lord, but I recognize I have the freedom. I'm born again. But he submits himself, doesn't he? He lays down certain liberties that he has in Christ so that he could be more effective in ministry. You guys tracking with me? How important of a thing this is. Timothy allowed himself to lay down things so that he could be more effective in ministry. And he used more when he was going, hanging out with Paul. This can be a difficult thing for us to wrestle with because we know he doesn't have to be circumcised. And in fact, in Galatians chapter two, I think it's verse three, Paul actually says this, and the timing is weird on this, but I'm pretty sure that what Paul's referring to is the Jerusalem conference where a bunch of people from Antioch went and were kind of just, they were debating, we just went through it. And Paul says that not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised. So Titus is hanging out with all this council in Jerusalem. And they recognize the dude's born again. He doesn't need to be circumcised. Titus is like, whew, right? He's fired up. They came to that conclusion. And he's sitting there like, no one made Titus get circumcised. It wasn't necessary. But Titus didn't have the same ministry that Timothy did. There are certain things you're going to have to lay down in order to be used by the Lord, whatever that might be. Sometimes it's like your bedtime. Well, you got to go to bed a little earlier because you got stuff to do in the morning, or you got to hang out with the Lord in the morning, and so you figure these things out. There are certain things and laws that you can impose upon yourself that the Holy Spirit would say, hey, I want you to walk like this because it opens up the doors of ministry, and it allows you to be used in certain ways. That's healthy. It can be hard for sure, but Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're going to be doing a lot of ministry among the Jews, and they needed to be available expanded ministry. Can you hold on to your rights? You better believe you can, but it might hinder what God wants to do. Just bear that in mind. And believe it or not, the Lord allows it to be up to you because he loves you and he allows you the option and the choice. How much do you want to be involved? He leaves it up to you. For time's sake, I'm just going to reference this. You can study it further. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 20, Paul says kind of that famous section where he says to the Jews, I was a Jew, and to the Gentiles, I was a Gentile. He goes on and explains. And what that is, not a a facilitating back and forth between convictions and, oh, I'm going to act this way when I'm with this person, and then behind their backs, I'm going to do like this. It's not what he's saying. When he's with the Jews, he's going to adopt their customs, mannerisms, and ways of life, their posture of living. Why? So he can be relatable to them. So he can share the gospel with them in a way that's more effective. What about with the Greeks? He's going to go and hang out with them. He's going to sit at their tables. He's going to eat their food. He's going to be with them and talk with them and all these different things. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Because Jesus is worthy of it. Now, I will say this. What about when those two worlds collide? And they did. It happened. Paul made it very clear. 
or I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm going to continue to eat with these guys. Like, at some point in time, lines have to be drawn. And some point in time, you have to live your convictions out, even if it is difficult. And so there's that as well. A lot of teaching that can go into this. But for you guys just to consider, all of this was for the gospel's sake. That Paul would lay down certain liberties. Timothy would lay down certain liberties. Or they might have to, this would be kind of the same, but they have to they take on certain things. When Paul was hanging out with his Jewish friends, he's like, you know what? I'm going to eat the way these guys are eating. I could eat that sandwich over there if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. All of that is healthy. That's Romans 14. We, deal, we dealt with that. <clears throat> but it's about serving, isn't it? Like wrapping it up like this. It's about serving. It's about people. It's about God's glory. That we as his people have the incredible privilege to obey him. And if he's calling us to do something that's hard, well, then we would ask him for the strength to be able to do it. But I'm telling you guys, obey. Jesus is worthy of it all. Consider these things. Ask the spirit to lead you and to guide you, to speak to you. Are there things in your life where he's maybe asking you to surrender and yield so that there's a more effective ministry? that he might have in and through you. Is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. You're not going to regret further yielding yourself to Jesus. You'll never regret it. Never, ever will you ever regret yielding yourself to the work that God has called you to. Is it hard? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. (laughs) Do we need help? Yes. That's why we have a church. That's why we have each other. We're struggling to fight through this. Man, ask people. Let's just end with that. (laughs) I'll pray. We've got communion. I need to be done. Lord Jesus, we ask for help. It's hard. I can, sometimes we just squirm when we talk about these things because it's like, oh, I just want to live my life. But we want to be led by your spirit. I want to be useful to you. You love us perfectly, no matter our usefulness because you see us as your son Jesus perfected thank you for that the beauty of the cross has done the work it's finished we are who you've made us to be but in terms of usefulness and seeing disciples made we just need help and so put callings on our lives Show us how we're supposed to walk as Christians in this world today. Are there areas that we need to lay down? Liberties are the things we need to take on so that we can meet people where they're at. Lord, just show us. Never compromising truth. Never compromising our own convictions that you've given us. But Lord, if there's something that doesn't compromise your truth and adds to the fullness of ministry, show us what it is we're supposed to do. Would you bless this time of communion as we consider and remember the work of the cross? This is your time now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.